Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere Thursday at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Believe in yourself, believe in your body. Rock, 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 it's the self-esteem party. Everyone, welcome to the Self-Esteem Party Podcast. I'm your host, Alana Johnston, and not with me is producer slash husband slash roommate, Norm Sousa. Thank God can I get a break, stretch my legs for once. He's a busy man, and I, a free woman once again. We've got a great episode for you today with someone I'd like to consider a new friend. We were set up by the Sonar Network. We get into that. And I just want to give a big old thanks to the NAR, cool nickname that I made up for Sonar Network. Now, here's the real deal, you guys. I'm not feeling so hot today. I'm going to go ahead and say I'm in a real low. But knowing that this episode is about to drop is putting me in a high high. I'm going to go ahead and say 20 out of 10 on the old self-esteem party scale. I'm literally off the charts. I'm so excited for everybody to hear this. So... Let's get to it. Please help me welcome my guest, Mike Sachs, right after this break. It's a self-esteem party. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's a self-esteem party. Welcome. I'm How great. are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm so I love having new people on. So just to give everybody the update here, we do not no. know each other. We have been set up by our mutual podcast network, Sonar Network, who we love, and we call The NAR. It's pretty fun if you want to steal that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> you can. <laughs> I do. <laughs> but Mike, I'm so glad to have you on, and I think we're going to have a great time. So if it's all right with you, before we get to know each other, I like to start the podcast off with, with what I call a self-esteem party check. Let's do it. So... Let's do it. So on a scale of one to 10, in terms of your self-esteem, self-love, the way you view yourself, how are you feeling today or recently or whatever timeline you want to give me? Well, it's directly tethered to what I'm putting out and publishing. So right now I have a couple of books that are coming out in the next few weeks. So it's quite high. I'd say maybe seven or eight. But I was I was thinking wow. about this when I was in high school and 
college, it was very, very low. And I've always connected uh, any self-esteem to any sort of accomplishment when it came to writing and publishing. So I, I, you know, before I was published, I had zero self-esteem. I mean, to the point where I was almost a shut-in. Wow. Oh, my God. I mean, it's really interesting how many people on this podcast because I interview a lot of like comedians as well and it's very um career based Mm -hmm. the self-esteem check-in because we don't have the consistency of say a Monday to Friday nine to five we don't know when that self-esteem hit's gonna come like you said you've got books coming out but if you didn't maybe you'd be like oh I'm a Uh, that's absolutely (laughs) It's, it's either very high or very low the highs are high the lows are low and I never quite yeah. understood um, addiction until I became a writer, and I understand it now. Um, I've been I've been off okay, booze you, for yeah. three months now, but I can understand it now because the highs are high, and the lows are low. When you're low and you're not publishing, you don't know if you'll be published again. You do need something to take your mind off it. And for me, it's only one of three things. One. Antidepressants, which helps to a certain degree, exercise and booze. Yeah, that's uh, I'm a big advocate of the antidepressants, which you're right, can only help so far. You have to put in your work. So it's like it's the first part of the work is being like, I'm going to go to a medical professional. Let's talk this out. But then it's like, I I don't know what your personal method is. I know for me, like in addition to being on meds, journaling, therapy, Mm -hmm. exercise, as you had already said, I know that that goes hand in hand in helping my meds work when I was just on meds and not doing anything else and drinking drugs, all that. I was like, well, these are useless. And then my doctor was like, well, you're making them useless. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh, I guess. It's really um, sort of murky. Uh, And each person has Mm -hmm. to figure it out for themselves. And for many years when I wasn't being creative, and I wasn't on medication, and I wasn't in therapy, I was just cir- circling the drain, and I did so for many years. It was only when I be- started becoming creative um, that it started helping with the depression. But you know, now, mm-hmm. there, even if you are being published and in, in good places, there are gonna be months where you're not being published, and you have to find something that is um, that will help you through it that isn't going to be negative towards you. And I've found over these past 13 years that drinking is just not, it just does, you know, you, the problem with drinking is you feel great, but you always wake up the next morning and you're not feeling so great and you have to start over mm-hmm. again. So I'm really trying to create more and, um, and that's writing every day, every day of the year. And if I'm not writing, I'll try to exercise to the point of, of total exhaustion, just walking 10 miles or something. Yeah. And, and wow. you know, it's exhausting, but it's, you find at the end of the year, because of this, you get a lot of work done. You get a lot of writing done. Well, and you get shredded. Keep up these walks. Well, you're, you're seeing me <laughs> live, but some... you see how shredded I am? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look at me. Just so everybody knows, what I'm seeing is a shirt off, chiseled abs. What you're seeing is a goddamn nightmare <laughs> is what you're seeing. <laughs> but listen, you're getting me in the morning. I have not even washed my face. You look great. Right. <laughs> so you look better like, than I do. Oh, my God. I re- it's because of this blue background. This is my self That's amazing. Wall. Look at that blue. Isn't it so good? Just so everybody knows, it's kind of like, I think the name is Periwinkle. I think it's the name of the blue that's behind me. I might be saying well, that Well, it looks wrong, like heaven. But it looks like heaven, but it makes me, it really brightens yeah, look at me you. Up. 
It makes me look brighter well, than I am. Well, my walls make me look I'm at, like I'm at Rikers Island, doesn't it? Great, great <laughs> walls. I look like I'm in the, the uh, prison detention program. <laughs> joking over here. No. Uh, okay, so can we talk a bit, can we backtrack a little bit and talk about yeah. your writing? Because I want to know how you got into it and when did it, um, start to dictate your emotions because sometimes with writing it can start as something light fun like with comedy with me it was like oh I'm doing improv this is fun and then I, and then all of a sudden it started to matter and then it really started to take a toll on me what would you say your journey has been with the beginning to now well, I never writing? had the nerve to do improv or stand up but I wish I did and that's what I tell younger writers it's very important if you want to get into comedy to do that because you need to form a like-minded group you need to network with like-minded people and you can't be isolated. You cannot be isolated. Yeah. And I was totally isolated. I only wrote for print. And when you're starting off, especially, and you know, no one that's years of being isolated and not knowing anyone. Yeah. And I don't think that's healthy for you as a person or as a writer. So I would certainly have yeah. opened myself up more. But when I got out of college, I was working for a number of years in retail. I just didn't know how to get into, even start in writing, because I didn't know any writers, and I didn't know anyone who knew any writer. It was like, you know, totally foreign to me, like being on the moon or something. So I was working in retail behind a housing project in Maryland, and I just started writing and submitting. Uh, and there were very few outlets then. This is pre-internet. So there was Playboy, New Yorker, Mad yeah. Magazine, and Cracked Magazine. So it was Cracked Magazine. Wow. Yeah. It was Cracked <laughs> that I started getting published in the uh, mid-90s. And um, from there, I, you know, one thing builds on another, but it does take that first step. But even from the beginning when I wasn't being published, I would put a lot of my self-esteem on being published. I didn't feel that I was worthy of meeting new people, new friends, girlfriends, if I, if I was just working in a retail store. And it was only, mm -hmm. sadly enough, when I, when I started getting published that I feel that I would have something to talk about and it, I would be worth talking to once I started getting published. So that was in the mid-90s. Um, and from that point on, I would say it's been imperative to be either to accomplish something every day whether it to be networking doing research writing or getting published uh to accomplish something each day and you know the best feeling really is to know that you will be published a few days from this point and you're working on something else that works that's really the 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 height the worst part of writing is to be down in the lower depths and to wonder if what you're doing is worth it and to have no outlook yeah. for any publishing in the future and just thinking, what is the point of any of this? Um, it's still isolating. I mean, it's certainly less so than it was before. But, you know, when you're a writer for print, you're home alone, um, which is I like it. I prefer it. But even me as a solitary person, it can be a little unhealthy to be at home alone, isolated this much, if only because I think for comedy, you need, you need to be connected. You can't be distant. Y yeah. And disconnected and um it, it really that's where the exercise comes in and, and some of the social aspect and that's where the drinking came in it was social i would go out every night and see the same people that that's gone yeah. now which is fine um but i i do try to at least keep up with people and have lunch with people because you really do need that you can't circle the drain uh in isolation okay now here's something about what you just said here 
um, that it used to be going out and drinking with friends or whatever was like a way of connection. Have you found any shifts in your relationships with people since you have stopped drinking? Or are you finding, because I've had both on this podcast. I've had people that certainly lost friends when they stopped drinking. And I've had people that like nothing really changed. So what would you say has been your experience the last I would say months? I lost friends that I don't need. Uh, that now. Oh, I love it. Yeah, because I would go, I mean, that was our connection. And they weren't writers. They were just people who were alcoholics. And, you know, I met a lot of people who I wouldn't have met otherwise. Um yeah. And it's fun. You meet people of different races, backgrounds, religions, sexuality. I mean, it was a great bar that I went to and that you would meet people that, you know, I wouldn't meet on a, on a day-to-day basis. But the common denominator was drinking. And, um, I, yeah, those friendships, I would say, by and large, have been lost. But I don't think mm-hmm. anyone who is creative or who uh, wants to be creative would ever... I'm hoping whatever not befriend me or not friend me, you know, remain friends with me because I stopped drinking. And I think it's just the opposite, actually. I mean, my friends have been very supportive of it. And um, I think those are the type of people you want to hang around with because it's more than a very tenuous connection just through alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Like I know for me in my relationship with drinking, I actually kind of sometimes have it the opposite where it's like that makes me antisocial because shows like live comedy shows keep me very social. It's a great way to see a ton of friends in one shot because everybody's at the show or or in the show. Um, And it's really interesting because before going to the shows, we would all go get drinks after. That's not happening as much now. And I don't know if it's because we're gearing back into shows we're getting used to it we we're used to being antisocial now yeah, like i have right. no idea why it's just not the same that it once was but it's like i found for me it's like oh i'll have a drink at home and unwind and whatever and then i'm like this is the exact opposite of what drinking is right, supposed to yeah. be it's supposed to be like oh let's go out to the bar so i'm like having the opposite thing of you where i'm like maybe I need to um, just go out and see friends more. <laughs> like I see friends and this and that, but right now I have it all based um, around comedy. And I think I need to like separate the two a little bit more. And well, I don't that know. That was my problem. I, drinking yeah, stuff. It is tough. I mean, and yeah, I found myself drinking alone at home, um, watching movies or writing. Now that's another common misconception among a lot of young writers is that I, I don't do drugs. I've never done drugs. So I don't know how drugs affect writing, but as far as alcohol, okay, alcohol can be helpful in a first draft, maybe even a second draft. But when you're editing and you're honing it, uh, you don't want to be drunk. You don't want to be sober. And I think that's a mistake. A lot of young writers make thinking that Hunter S Thompson, um, always wrote drunk, uh, or so-and-so always wrote drunk. Um, first of all, I think that's usually a character built up by the people who, such as Hunter S. Thompson. Second of all, he, Hunter S. Thompson learned to write sober. So you cannot really learn to write either if you're drunk or, or high. Um, yeah. Have you found your content has changed? No, not changed? at all. I mean, because uh, I, I was not a okay. drinker for many, many years. When I first learned to write, I wasn't a drinker. So it hasn't changed at all. And I think it's sort of a misconception to think that, only buzzing can you come up with something that is worthy of writing about or just is different enough and funny enough 
but I, I just think that's I don't know it to be. It's just total bullshit. I mean, that was my fear too when I went on antidepressants, uh, Wellbutrin and Prozac. I thought it might affect my creativity, but it doesn't. Yes, I had the exact same fear that I was like, it's going to make me a zombie or boring or numb yeah, out, it doesn't. whatever. And it freed me. Right. It was like, oh, I can have a thought and about an idea, comedy, whatever the situation might be. And I don't have to like muck it up or have self-judgment in it if it is a good thought or not a good thought or be like, are people going to like this or have anxiety? I was like, no, I can have a thought now clearly and just write it down and that's the thought whereas before previous to medication I was having a lot of self-judgment about that idea and then anxiety about it and what are people going to think and this and that and I was like well I've ruined the idea yeah the idea's ruined now it's trash well, that's the thing too when you think about it like I got into comedy was when I was a kid and I certainly wasn't drinking as a kid so that joy you you felt, right. I felt as a kid, getting into comedy, making jokes, fooling around with friends, watching comedies. You don't have to be drunk to do that. You don't have to do that. I mean, the joy can come, the highs can come from creating. And I think in retrospect, um, walking and exercising and playing baseball, tennis, whatever, is uh, much more conducive to creative thinking than depressing yourself with alcohol and then falling asleep at 1130, you know, with your... You're still typing as you're still typing. I think it's it's very, and you only can really see this in retrospect. And, you know, you have to go yeah. through it. I'm not telling anyone what to do or what not to do. But for me, uh, I can assure you that it, it's been nothing but good for creativity and for, pro for production, yeah. you know, for producing uh, stories and articles and books and what have you. I have such an interesting relationship with substances, substances, sorry, <laughs> I'm wasted right now. No. <laughs> I wonder why you're so funny. I'm like, funny. let's have fun. <laughs> it's 10 a.m. <laughs> but it's like, anyway, anyways. Um, but yeah, so I, uh, oh my God, now I lost my train of thought. Wait, oh, drinking, complicated relationship. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, I, it's kind of complicated because I'm always a big supporter when somebody stops and I always see positive results, but... I also have a hard time if somebody's doing it too much or something commenting because I'm like, well, I've been in that too. When it was like, I've had it to be a problem, stop, cut back, whatever the situation may be, I kind of flip-flop back and forth. Um, but it's hard. I think it's hard to see somebody else struggling in that. And then sometimes I worry, oh, I was the one that everybody right. was seeing struggling yep, in yep. that. You know what I mean? And I'm like, oh my God, it's like a vicious yeah. cycle. And I think it's great that you stopped and have this clarity. And listen, you could have a drink today and be like, oh, I fucked it all up. But now you have a reference point, like when you were a right. kid, where you go, oh, wait a minute. Turns out it was totally okay without it. I can start again of, of not yeah, being Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, that is the um, that is the the thing where, you know, you just it becomes routine and authors like routine. I like routine and it just becomes yeah. something to do it starting at five o'clock and then um, something to look forward to. And I, I do see it in others, yeah. but it's not for me to say what everyone has their own create creative method. And it's complicated. It's murky. We're all trying to figure it out. And, you know, if one drink a night helps you, I see nothing wrong with that. It was just a matter of drinking one to two bottles of wine at night. After a certain point, yeah. you know, you do uh, damage to your body. You, you're spending a lot of money. It's not 
good for you and it's not helping you as a husband father writer or anything else so you know if anyone can figure it out on their own that's great i'm not telling anyone what to do i'm just saying that it seems like i don't need it anymore and i'm happy about that well it's interesting to bring it to self-esteem um this sounds like self-love and self-care because basically it's you being able to go this does not serve me uh you said you're like oh uh, before that you'll feel good in the night and in the moment and then the next day you wake up and you feel like complete shit and for me when I wake up if I've gone too hard or just whatever had a night where I wasn't really taking care of myself that well then I wake up the next morning being like oh Elena do you even like yourself why would you do this to yourself why would you make yourself feel this bad and I think sometimes that's where I struggle where I'm like oh what's this say about how I feel about me that I'm kind of willing to abuse my body in this way when I'm yeah, I mean, not exhibiting control? Yeah, in the early light of dawn, boy, it, it seems different. But I will say this. I mean, for someone, I'm not great socially. So if I, if I were to go out and I did go out, uh, especially writing parties, which I tend to avoid, but if I did have to do it, uh, booze was really the only way I got through it. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't have to do that anymore, be, you know, post-COVID. Uh, which is helpful, you know, so there are, it it can be a tool that you can use in a positive sense. Um, But uh, now that, especially in isolation, I think it's very dangerous to still be hooked into that system um, and just to have to do something every day. And that's really why I got into writing to avoid having to do something every day at a certain time. But you find yourself at five o'clock every day wanting to do the same thing. And I didn't want that to have to happen every day. Well, you're already doing something that you have to do every yeah, day. Yeah, right. right. That's right. You're you're already doing something that it's like, this is something I already have to do every day. So you're like, now I'm going to add this other thing I have to do every right. day. Right. Well, people, <laughs> people have like, asked me, why do you write? I mean, you write a lot. They say, well, yeah, I have to. Because if I don't, I'm a fucking disaster. I'm depressed and anxious and OCD. And um, yeah. truly, if there's one day that I don't do it. Uh, I'm a bubbling mess and writing makes me happy. There's a lot of things that used to make me happy that I don't do anymore. Um, You know, certain things make other people happy. They go out and play golf or they practice their putt or go fly fishing. I have no interest in that. I I want to read and write. That's what I want to do. And and I have that opportunity to do it now. And if I don't do it, um, nothing is produced. But even more importantly, I'm not happy. This is what live shows were to me, which is why, and a lot of people, which is why the pandemic was so hard when shows stopped, um, because I was like, oh, I didn't realize how much um, instant gratification I got from laughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you sure. know, what I'm like making yeah. other, hearing the laughs, and then I'm like, I'm amazing. I, I have a purpose yeah. in life. And then I stopped doing that, and I was like, oh, this is really hard. I didn't realize how dependent I was on those other people. So it's, it's really great that you have uh, writing because it is something you can do solo. And if it's giving you um, gratification without, cause you said earlier about no, feeling better. Cause you know, you're being published and some stuff's about to right. come out. Right. But it sounds like you also get a lot of joy in the act itself, even if it's totally. Just you. And I'm very um, lucky in that I, I started off in isolation and I'm sort of, got used to that where I don't need to go out and get laughs. You know, what I do is very silent. I write in silence and people read it and I never see them or hear them laugh. So I don't, if I don't hear that, it doesn't bother me. Now I've done live uh, shows um, where I've read my own stuff uh, for books that I put out. And this was like to two or three people. 
in one case, one person, <clears throat> a homeless person who showed up in California for this uh, book I was doing. But I, it was an interesting thing because I'm friendly, friendly with David Sedaris, and he asked me to go on tour with him to open for him. That's seven minutes opening for David. So what he, what he wow. does is he's just an amazing guy. He'll come out first, introduce me, and I go out. And he, he gave me seven minutes to do whatever I wanted. So I did this a number of times, maybe 10 times. And it's like playing in a bar band to then opening for the Rolling Stones. I mean, now you're playing in front of 2,000 people. And I really appreciate the opportunity that, that he let me do this. But I do have to say, it's not something I need. I really am just as happy. I don't know how he does it, how he travels to 200 cities a year and does this. I mean, it's amazing. It exhausts me. And... I'm fine with staying home and writing up my little silly yeah. stuff and putting it out there and not having to have a reaction. If I did need a reaction, I think my life would be a lot different where I would need something that that to me is what's really impressive of performers. And you can see how they go crazy, how they go mad, where if you are addicted to the laugh, addicted to the applause and you're not getting it, that's brutal. Yeah. I mean, that's brutal, yeah. but I never really wanted that or need that so i feel lucky in that yeah. sense where it's just about the craft to me i mean i almost feel like one of those artists who makes little you know uh metallic um figurines and sells it at an arts festival like I, i'm alone all week i just put it out to me it's it's it is a craft and i i just like to be kind of left alone but if you need that applause like certain people do it the I mean, it's tough. And I don't know. The highs are really high, but the lows are really low in that case. You know, it's really interesting, the struggle I've had in all this, because I, I am one of those performers that needs the laughs. I, I've been that way my whole life, right? I, I like being the center of attention or serving the center mm -hmm. of attention. Part of the scene, if somebody else is doing something, whatever. Um, and... Not having that in the pandemic definitely made me go crazy. But I didn't really take to doing online stuff because I still can't see a reaction. I get that people can like it, but I can't control that situation. When I'm on stage live, I can control it. I can see the audience. I can be like, they're liking this kind of stuff. They're not liking this kind of stuff. And I don't know if you have that equivalent in your reviews. So what I want to know is, because I'm having it like on stage where I'm like, I'm controlling this. I can see this. I can whatever. I'm having a hard time of that in, um, on online because I'm not necessarily getting that feedback. What is it like for you as a writer when you put something out there and then you are seeing their response well, from people? What, what is that brutal. like for you? I mean, I don't read reviews. Um, and what I do... Okay. <laughs> I mean, supposedly I don't read them. I mean, when I have read them and it's been negative, it kills me. And I don't understand yes. what people say, you know, I, I read reviews and if it's negative, it doesn't bother me. I don't really understand that. What does, uh, what I do look at and which really matters the most to me is I'll send these books and articles or what have you out to people in the industry. And if they like it, and I can tell whether they're bullshitting or not, if they like it, that to me means more than anything because their humor IQs are higher than even my family's is in Maryland who might not get something that I wrote. So if, for instance, yeah. Jack Handy, I just sent him the new book I wrote. He said he liked it. To me, that meant the world. Um, Jerry Stahl, uh, a writer, uh, liked something I wrote. So that is the type of reviews I look for. I do not anymore go down on Amazon and check out uh, the one, two, three-star reviews. I just cannot do it. I, You know, talk about self-esteem. Yeah. I've been doing this for a long time now, more than 25 years, and I... 
cannot I, I still can't do that. My self-esteem is not high enough for me to say, fuck you. You might not have gotten it, but I liked it. So there, I mean, that's one of the problems I have with reading in front of 2000 people is that I, when I did it for, you know, the 10 times or so, I always noticed the people who were not laughing. And that to me is what I remember, you know, and that yeah. is, I don't want to experience. I don't want to see I don't want to visualize and see in front of me and experience someone not liking what I do. So what I do now is sort of taking the easy way out. I write alone. I put it out there. And whether you like it or not, I have no idea. I just put it out there and just uh, wait for a few people to get back. But it's not immediate. And if it is a negative review, uh, people aren't going to be writing me immediately with a, a sad face like you would see in a live performance. Yeah. Um Wait, hold on a second. There we go. Sorry, something just popped up on my screen. Sorted. Anyways, I'm a writer too. You see, I have to write in the middle of the podcast. Who was it? I would say it was, no, it wasn't a text. It was some Zoom message popped up being like, you've logged out, but you're right here. So I don't understand. Well, mentally I logged out. That's what it's saying. Yeah, you logged mentally and then you sent the message and you were like, I'm done with this fucking lady. I was like, wow, thanks, Mike. Uh, no, what I wanted to say is I have dappled in some writing, worked in some writer's rooms of like kind of weird comedic projects, always something not like a staffing job, always something very weird, very different, very like, oh, we need someone that has like um, just ideas. <laughs> like yeah. just spit out right, ideas. There are specialists in comedy, so, yeah, some with jokes, some characters, yeah. some ideas, yeah. Yeah, so I, I would say I'm an ideas woman, a bit of a punch-upper, more so. More so than a first draft. Right, drafter. well, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. And that, that's what you have to teach young writers is if you're not good at something, that doesn't mean you can't fit in in a group or in, in a writer's room. Well, that was how I felt I was able to um, use my skills of live performing um, and apply it to writing because it, it's just, it was just jokes and this and that. Because when I'm performing live what's the max I'm performing? Say an hour, right? If you look at like a live show, usually an hour would be the most. More likely I do a shorter set on a bigger show, right? Rather than an hour by myself. But I've done an hour by myself. It was great. It was fun. It was whatever. But my God, writing an hour's worth of a story that made sense nearly killed me. Yeah. It was so hard. <laughs> I commend you for being a full-on writer because I, I, I just think it's like, I get that you can practice and get better at something, but there are some things in life I think are just in you. Yeah, and I think so. The rest takes yeah, work. Yeah, but at the same time, like, I don't know. I got into comedy to be a TV writer, to work in a room. But with that said, I don't know if I could do it these days because I'm so used to working alone. I mean, you need skills to work right. in a writer's room that I don't know if I have anymore. And that seemingly you would have, that you have. So, yeah. uh, but that's another thing, too. Like, when I was growing up, I didn't know that there were different options for comedy writers. I thought you had to write for a sitcom and you had to write in a room but in you can you can only write for free right (laughs) that's it you had no other job opportunity right that was it (laughs) Frazier but I mean there are different specialties so joke writers there's story writers and I think the earlier you learn that there are a lot of different things you can do especially now you can do a one-person show you can Mm -hmm. do your own podcast you can do a cartoon a graphic novel there's not one thing you have to do and if you're not good at a certain thing it doesn't mean you won't be good at other things so you really do have to find your niche and my niche i think is to stay at home and just um 
push something out, whether it takes a week or a year. And, and I think that's part of the OCD. And just to be alone and not yeah. have to take orders and not have to run jokes by people. Um, you know, there's a negative part to it, too. I mean, there's certain shows I love and would have loved to have worked on. But I think a lot of these shows, just having friends who've written on these shows, especially late night shows, uh, a lot of them are better in theory. You know, after a year or so, they just kind of lose their mind, especially a late night show yeah. writing jokes about Trump. And I saw this with a few friends. It just it just burned out, burned them out. Um, and I have that uh, I have the um, fortune that I don't have to f think about Trump at all. You know, I can. I don't have to write 20 yeah. jokes about him every day. So there, there are pluses and minuses to every job. And um, the power of television is much more than print. And the power of movies to go see a movie with people laughing at your stuff is a lot more powerful. But the control you have writing for print is really what I like. And even if it's uh, yeah. not necessarily read by that many people or it's not as powerful as television, it's just what I like is control. Now, I, I, I wonder if you have any advice on this, because it's something I'm struggling with as well, just to uh, keep on the writing here. Um, so you, we said it's about finding a niche uh, of what you're good at, what you excel at. How important do you think it is to um, enhance the other types of writing or skills around that? Or do you think it's worth it to double down on the thing you're already kind of better at and focus on that? Do, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Like, is it, do you want to broaden or do you want to well, I think it's important in? if you're just starting out to try everything. And I think okay. it's, everything can help lead to success in other things. I think improv can help you as a writer for print because basically writing is improv. And when you see right. reactions immediately, you can hone different aspects of your talent. I think it's always important to try different things. But at a certain point, if you know you like something more than another thing, don't feel you have to do it. You know, for a long time, I felt I had to write, say, a funny short story for a New Yorker. Well, I wasn't that good at that. I was okay at Shouts and Murmurs, mm -hmm. but I wasn't good at short stories. But you don't have to write. You know, you're not Robert, you're not uh, fiction writers where, you, where I would have to do that. I wasn't an Iowa writer's graduate, but I put so much pressure on myself for some reason about that, that you sort of lose track of what you're good at. So I do think you need to sort of, at a certain point, always learn about what you're doing, but sort of hone in on a specialty, on a, a medium, on a genre, and just try to get as good as you can at that, because that's really how you're going to stand out is by putting out stuff yeah. that you like putting out because people can tell, they can tell when you're just sort of, um, going through the motions or when you really feel it and you really do in the end you have to put out what you want how you want and I don't care what it is as long as it's something that you enjoy and that the reader or listener enjoys oh oh my god I absolutely love this and I I 100% agree with you I I love the try everything because you never like I, I started off um, just doing improv, then I just did sketch, then I just did characters, and now, then I just did solo stuff and some music and this and that. All this stuff, a bit of a mishmash, and now I think the, the zoning in, honing in on something is where I'm at at this crossroads because I'm like, people want to define mm -hmm. you. Yep. It makes it easier to sell yep. you. If they're like, like with you, he's a comedy writer or he's a nonfiction writer or, and I know you can do all that, but it's like sometimes like 
I said to my husband uh, before I, you came on, he, he knew who you were, but before I had said your name, I was like, oh, he's a comedy writer. And then I said your name. He was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, great. That worked out. But I announced you as a comedy writer because yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, you, like, sometimes you need a bit of a label. And I think that's what the honing in can give you. Not that you can't do other stuff, but sometimes you need something people can totally. identify and I totally agree with that. And there's a few things I've learned over the years. One is don't be afraid to say exactly what you want to do. A lot of people are doing things they don't want to do. They have a dream of mm -hmm. writing for late night or they have a dream of writing a musical or they have a dream of writing a graphic novel, but they don't even tell themselves that. So you need to tell yourself exactly, this is what I want to do. And then you have yeah. to put it out exactly the way you want to do it. And for many years I was writing for various magazines and it wasn't necessarily what I wanted to write. And it was only when I started self-publishing these books where they wouldn't have been accepted by my agent, by my publisher, by the agency where I was attached to. And I just thought, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to do what I want to do, how I want to do it. If no one reads it, it's fine. And it was that's when things really started to roll. I put out a self-published oh book God. that was a novelization to a non-existent trucking and CB movie called Stinker Let's Loose. And I self-published it. <laughs> and literally, I put it out and thought, you know what? I don't care if anyone reads it. I think it's funny. I'm going to put it out. Uh, yeah. I think it's interesting. And I put it out. And like two weeks later, a friend of mine who I hadn't spoken to in a while, Eric Martin, said, can I buy the audio rights to this? I was like, sure. Yeah. I mean, you don't even have to pay me. Just take the rights and see what you can do with it. And two weeks after that, John Hamm is attached to playing Stinker on the audio project. Paul F. Tompkins, um, uh, Andy Richter, Ray Seahorn, all these people are attached to it. Now, that would not have happened if I had waited for permission. You cannot wait for permission. And you have the opportunity oh now. You don't have to wait for permission. It's the first time in history where a writer can put out a book, can put out an audio cast, can put out a radio show, can put out basically anything they want, however they want, without needing permission. And I'm telling you, that alone is going to change comedy. The fact that anyone can do anything in their own way. Now, not, not all of that's going to be good, but it'll make yeah. a lot of it will be. But at the very least, a lot of writers will be happy. Be yeah, I agree with you on uh, you got to put it put out what you want the way you want. The way you want is the key yeah. now, because like you said, we have we've made it so easy to put your work out yeah. like whether you're a performer or a writer, like you said, you can self-publish, you can have a blog, you can have like whatever. And then as a performer, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, like you can, you can just put up videos of whatever Anything. the heck you want. And I'm, Any, you can do table reads of a pilot and then put that out. Do whatever the fuck you want. I mean, the thing is, <laughs> if you're going to be waiting for permission, you're going to be waiting a long time. And at a certain point, yeah. you have to say, fuck it. I'm not waiting for permission. I'm not waiting for you to say it's good. A lot of times no one will ever do it because they can't picture what you're picturing. It hasn't been done before. So just do it and put it out there the way you want it to. And I'm telling you, once you do that as a writer, good things will happen. Oh, my God. I think as in once you do that as any yes. performer, too, like I, I couldn't like I have um, one of my friends. She uh, had a just TikTok put out random videos, whatever. And um, Judd Apatow yeah. Yeah, saw right. it, and now she like does yeah, his there shows. You go. I mean, <laughs> like it's crazy. I'm telling you, it doesn't take much, and it can happen now. Now, when I started off, it was not really possible. You couldn't 
have something of Judd Apatow's stature that you could just email. Or he, there's no email. You couldn't send a packet of stuff to him, and and he would then hire you. Now it can happen. You can show people exactly what you're capable of. So I really do think that yeah. for young comedy writers, now is the best time in history to be get into the field. I mean, there's a lot of people doing yeah. this. When I when I first got into it, I didn't know anyone. Now it seems like every other person that I know is a comedy writer. But I think the opportunity is there where it doesn't take much for someone to say to Judd Apatow, hey, check out this woman's work. He checks it out and then he hires her. I mean, that's what it takes now, which is amazing. Yeah. Well, it's one clip. Yeah, it's incredible. All you have to ask somebody to do is be like, here is the clip or of writing. Here's the page in my email. I can easily read it. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. I can read the first. Well, page that's really important because people don't make a decision. Yeah, people don't want to take time doing anything. There's so much to do. So if, if you can oh, I get something it. to them yeah. and that's easy for them to check out, all the better. Yeah, I'm so, I, I'm very um, I keep everything very yep. short. I keep everything really condensed because I go, you're only going to get them that's for right. a minute. You're only going to get them for one minute and then they're going to turn it off if you can even get them for that one well, minute. Well, that's you know a big I mean? mistake. And there's a few mistakes that I would tell young students. One is not to be funny in a pitch in a pitch letter or a cover letter. And don't okay. go on for eight paragraphs. I mean, either they'll like it or they won't. And all you need is are one or two paragraphs. In fact, you can oversell yeah. and you can sell yourself right out of an opportunity. It's just too much. Yeah, I definitely uh, in meetings that I've had or auditions or this or that um, you you let the work speak for itself was like the best feedback I ever yeah. got because I would go in make so many jokes this this and this and everybody gave me feedback being like she's so funny she's so funny she's so funny but I wasn't booking. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I'm being so funny in real life but I wasn't showing the work and and let the work speak for itself and I wasn't well, doing are that. Are you still doing that or are you just putting out what you want how you want are you still auditioning i am putting i'm uh, well i actually just at the end of the year uh left my reps speaking yeah, of good. asking for right, permission i i wanted to do one thing they wanted me to do another and i was like i don't good. know what to tell you Goodbye. life's too short i gotta go do my thing so i left them on good terms let me clarify that with everybody on very good terms i it was just a we just wanted different things it was well, like a breakup like a relationship what did they want from you <laughs> Yeah, so basically it was like the roles I was being sent out for, I didn't think I was suited for. Like, for example, um, if somebody sends you, I've had a lot of accomplishments. I've done a lot. I'm very proud of myself. But nobody's going to cast me as the leading lady of an NBC pilot when it's versus me and the celebs. Like, so yeah, I was like, right. Hey guys, you're kind of setting me up to fail here. I'm not saying I'm not capable of this. I could crush a show today. No problem. I'm, I know what I can do, but they don't know what right. I can do. And I'm like, and they're not even looking at me. Whereas if you put me in as like the neighbor, the yeah, sister, I'm so tired. the coworker, it's so frustrating. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so frustrating. <laughs> it was very frustrating, Mike. And it was also like, too, um, I tried to tell them, I was like, guys, I think we're onto something with these live shows. Like, I think it's like, and I'm taping them and I'm putting together stuff because I was like, I think I need to start showing a bit more me, maybe do some hosting, a um, bit more me, my voice on things rather than like character type stuff. And, um, we just didn't see it the same way. And I kind of was like, Good. you know, 
I got you re- It's so crazy, Mike. I got these reps because they saw I know, me on live that's... shows. So I tried to, oh. you know what I mean? I tried to explain to them. I was like, you guys, like 10 years ago, you right. saw me and you went, she's a star. So I'm like, we have to do this again and hope yeah. that people in other positions are seeing me. So it, we just didn't see eye to eye. That's, and, that's very, yeah. very common. I can tell you from my own standpoint, I would get agents. They would read something I wrote. They loved it quote unquote loved it yeah and then before you know it they want you to write a ya romantic book so where the fuck does that come from did you hire me because i wrote a ya romantic no because that's where the money is now but you know what who gives a shit where the money is what's going to happen is you're going to write something you're not going to be happy with you're going to be stuck with it and then that's not going to sell and a year has passed so what was yeah. the purpose of that? There's no purpose to that. Yeah. Life is really short and your career is even shorter. So you really do every day. You have to not take shit and really kind of be kind of stubborn saying, you know what? It's not going to happen. I'm not going to get the lead in an embassy thing. It's just fucking not going to happen. So I need to do. Not, not right. yet. And if that yeah. doesn't bring you enough money, <laughs> what I want to do, then fuck you. I'm going to find someone else. Or I don't even need someone. I don't even have uh, certain agents now. I do it all myself. You don't need someone yeah. out there who's the gatekeeper who probably doesn't get humor as much as you do anyway. You know, I didn't even notice that I didn't have reps anymore because I was still booking. It was just direct offers from contacts I had made from shows. (laughs) So they saw me. They wanted to work with me. It went well. They'll bring me back in. That's like, like you said, contacts, knowing people, meeting other people that do what you do. That brings job opportunities. And that's me doing it all by myself. All by myself, well, I did it. No one helped The thing helped me. is, like, why do I need a publisher? First of all, it's going to take... It's never going to be accepted, these ideas. Second of all, if it does, it'll take two years to be published, at least. Third of mm-hmm. all, I can write, edit, design, and promote on my own. I'd be doing that anyway. You're not... They're not going to be doing shit anyway. They don't... They don't no. understand what they're producing, you know? Yeah, and it's like, I get that to them, that lead of the NBC show is big dollar signs. I get that it's big money, so it benefits them. But I'm like, but not if I don't book. (laughs) Now you make no money. Right, and not only that, it's just a waste of your time, and it's not of your interest. So you really, in the the end, you have to run your own career anyway. I don't care how repped you are. You can be repped up the ass. You're Mm -hmm. still going to be out there selling yourself and making things happen. You have to make things happen. Like your friend who made it happen, put it out there, didn't know what would happen. And Judd Apatow got in touch. I mean, I find that fantastic. Um, Not just for her, but for comedy. I mean, to get these fresh voices and not these Harvard Lampoon douchebags who ran comedy for 40 fucking years. Who needs them anymore? You know, you have... Well, he's lucky he found her. She's good, a star. right? You're damn she, right. She's gonna make him look like good. A so in thirty years, thirty years ago, that wouldn't have happened, though, right? I mean, he, she wouldn't have. She probably would have struggled, unfortunately, forever to try to find that thing. Well, especially because we're in. Um a different tier, right? We're more like not starting out. We, she also has accomplishments like a lot of them, but it's like, you know, Judd Apatow's up here in terms of what he's done and the opportunities that he has. And for us, we wouldn't have even been in the same well, room. Well, let me tell you something back in the day. It's like, you wouldn't even be in a You're room, fine, with but his, uh, part of his talent is finding younger, more talented people. <laughs> Actually, you're right. No, he's, a, he's a comedic vampire. Right. I, mean, I mean, God love the guy. He's brilliant at putting stuff out, but he's smart enough to know that there's talent out there that he needs to hook up with. 
I'm going to say this uh, for the public listening at large. If anybody wants to ride my coattails to the top, fine by me. I'm not saying no. Hop on board. Would love to get you in here. <laughs> no, bro. You want, if you want to make it because you found me, go nuts. Yeah, I love no, it. No, that'll make it easy for everyone. <laughs> It'll make it easy for everyone and we'll get a voice out there. And you said something earlier that I really liked. Um, you had said um, they don't get it because it's never right, been of done course. before. I mean, right. right? It, it's, you know, I was pitching ideas for these fake found items, whether it's a novelization to a non-existent movie, whether it's a memoir that I supposedly found at a garage sale in Maryland, um, you know, all these things, they just didn't get it, I don't think. I mean, I barely got it. I didn't know if it would work until I did it myself. So why pitch something mm -hmm. that they're not going to get? And quite frankly, it's just really the difference between sensibility. I mean, you know, certain people like watching Two and a Half Men. Certain people like watching Pen 15. I'd rather hang with the people who like Pen 15. But the problem is Same. the people who watch <laughs> Pen 15 aren't necessarily the people buying projects, right? They're the, it's more marketing. It's more money driven. So, but why do you have to impress that type? You shouldn't have to. You should. Yeah. It, every great comedian, every great comedy writer goes through a certain point where they face a schism between their future and the past, whether it's George Carlin or Richard Pryor where they feel what I'm doing isn't making me happy. I have to change course. And whether it, whether it works or not, I have no idea. But it's not going to be mainstream, and I have to do what I want. And it's only then that the real um, George Carlin can come out, the real Richard Pryor can come out. It's only then that the real comedy writers come out. Because if you're trying to impress an editor or a producer or an agent or a publisher with something that you don't feel, if you feel it, fine. But if you don't feel it, then nothing's going to happen and you're not representing your true yeah. self. And again, life is short and you really do have to hit it as early as possible to find your voice, whatever that might be, and to just put out whatever you think is the best. I mean, I just think if you believe in something, you got to hold tight no matter how many people are telling you no, because look at all like it's always sunny in Philadelphia, broad city, like shows like this that were like shook us comedically. Everyone was like, yep. what? No one no, gave them no, a chance no. in the beginning. The girls had to make a series themselves. Uh, it's always sunny Philadelphia had to make it themselves. It's like people literally have to yes, find it's a fucking hustle to make their own TV yep, shows and then right. hand them a final product and go, you see what I did all by myself? Imagine if you gave me a budget. Like, this is what it's well, come right. to. It doesn't happen often. It takes a lot of work. But imagine how many times that doesn't happen. How many people with dreams never saw yep. those dreams fulfilled. You do have to be fucking stubborn. You do have to keep on the path. You do have to believe in yourself. Yeah. And I think if you're putting out the stuff that makes you the happiest, then you don't have to convince yourself to be happy. I think you may not be making as much money at first, but I think from a uh, moral standpoint, from uh, from how you feel as a as a person, as a human, um, it, that to me is worth more than if I were to write for a ton of money writing for some show I wouldn't be interested in. Yeah. And it's like, I, listen, I love money. I've done a lot of things just for money, right? Of, of stuff maybe I, I wasn't at, that wasn't my idea or I wasn't as keen on or whatever, because I understand it's like sometimes a job is a job um, and you've been hired for somebody else's right. project. So you, 
that's the job you've been hired to do. You can't go in there and be like, it's no. this way, unless that's what right. you're paid to do. That's right. <laughs> you can't do that. But it's like, I agree with you. You have to stick with your thing because that's going to make you happier. Like I have found the things that I was able to pull off on my own, even if it's writing a script, nobody's ever going to read. Yes. But I set the goal to do it and I did it, which I did do in the pandemic. I wrote a script of something that I was like, I think this show would be funny uh, and starring me and, you know, with a dream cast that probably I would never get like your audio book. All of a sudden these people are attached and you're like, John Hamm, yeah, like yeah. I, I would exactly. never. <laughs> and, uh, and I felt amazing about that. It made me feel so good, better yeah. than anything I had booked. Cause I was like, I told myself I could never do it. And then I did it. And maybe one day, 10 years from now, someone's going to read that and go, oh, this no, is No, I genius. wouldn't even, what do you mean? Maybe. Don't even wait. Put it out yourself now. What are you waiting for? Well, how, okay. Here's another great question then. How would you suggest well, I what is it exactly? Out? If I have this it's pilot. A- okay, so it's a half hour. It's a pilot that's like, it, it's, it's called Self-Esteem Party, which is like this comedic um album i have of like little pop songs and they all have like they're all based on true stories so this is it's like based on true stories but it's very silly it's about me finding my own self-esteem it's like this journey and then the people around me in my life um and how i'm doing it for me but i'm also doing it for them because I'm a mess and I'm really affecting everybody around me and dropping the ball. It's very much so based on the story of my okay, life. Okay, so... <laughs> of like getting my shit Well, together. I would suggest that you put it out through Audible or some sort of um, podcasting company where it'd be an hour long special. And through that company, you could reach out to go straight to the people you would want involved in it. If they, if they don't want to do it, go to younger, lesser known talent and be in charge of it. Put it out exactly the way you want to do it. And see what happens, because and very easily someone could uh, look at that and say, you know what, this would be a great stage player. You know what, this could be a great TV show. Only when something is tangible and visceral can they really see what this is about. And you pitching it for the rest of your life won't convince someone as much as them listening to ten minutes of it and saying this works. Oh my god, I never even thought about releasing it as a special. What a Do great it. idea! What are you waiting for? Now's the time. Yeah. I mean, put it out the way you want it done. Now you may not get. Uh, so-and-so to play a certain part that doesn't matter i mean there's so much talent out there to play any role oh my god i already know who i would book it's like i i already like and all of them are lesser known names but names that like if you it like if you're saying audible so if it doesn't if we don't need the visual of it if you just heard these people talk you'd be like this is the funniest person on the planet so maybe that is gonna help me if it's just audio as opposed to like visual and then they can see i don't have any stars well the thing like the that. thing too you know is I mean? that you, uh, that i never knew until the past couple of years is that a lot of people who are known as being big stars um are willing to do smaller projects that they like i mean it's almost like punk mentality where it's it's the equivalent of putting out a um a an album in their garage versus going to abbey road or something i mean it's just something fun for them to do and they're not even looking for yeah. money. So you'd be surprised at the number of people out there you like who may have some free time between projects who would be willing to work on something. Because just from a selfish standpoint, it can always help their career down the road, too. That If they see talent in you, promise in you, what, yeah. you know, riding the coattails of what we were talking about. They, they're looking for talent. They're looking for opportunities. Now, if Audible says no, you go to another one. If they say no, you keep, you're going to keep going until someone says yes. and Until... Uh, yeah. someone you know hopefully would be able to 
uh, pay you a little bit, put it together, but you wouldn't even need much, really. It, it would be something you could just do on your own. Um, but I would yeah. highly recommend that and just put it out and move on down the road. You know, keep producing, putting out new things. This is such good advice it, uh, of um, taking action. You have to. Which is something I'm not always the best. I can take some, but I'm not always the best at it. Sometimes I think I stop myself being like, oh, no well, you have to be. Who's even going to read you it? You have to and, be kind of you know. not a dick, but sort of um, stubborn. And you have to. You can't be to the. I mean, I've been on the receiving end where someone's been so obnoxious, I just blocked them. But you do have to be nice, and um, but you do have to keep on and keep on on. You can't ever give up because all it takes is yeah. one. I mean, it's like dating. You know, how many shit guys did you go through before you met your husband? You probably went through quite a lot. Uh, He's Holy one of them. Shit. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, he's he's one of the shit he's guys. <laughs> he's terrible. I accidentally he married him. He sucks. <laughs> Norm's going to love this. I'm sure he will. It's a numbers game. Uh, no, but you're right. Yeah, it's like how many people did we filter through until you're like, oh, this one's not bad at all. This right, one exactly. hit. It only took me and it 10 has nothing years. nothing to do with you necessarily. <laughs> you're just not a good fit. So if someone doesn't get it, it's not necessarily yeah. on you. And if you believe in it enough, you'll, you'll do it until it's done. I think that was what happened with the reps thing. It just stopped being a good fit. I changed. It was like the last... We all changed in the pandemic, obviously, and had to face ourselves and, you know, accept a lot of things about ourselves. It sounds like you've done that as well. Um, and I just feel like the last, the, between the pandemic and then this past year with some personal stuff happening, I, I've really just been like, oh, I'm not, I, I just, I'm not as able to be like uh, people pleasing. I think. Of, um, and go along with what my reps are saying. And I was like, oh, I can't. I, can't I admire it. that. I'm I done. wish I was like that you know, 15 years ago and I wasn't. So the fact that I think the earlier like that, the better. And, uh, it, yeah. it is just a bad fit. And like you say, it's very important not to have bad relations with them. Put it very nicely. It's, it's a professional relationship. Yes. They'll understand. Hopefully if they don't, you shouldn't have been with them anyway. Ex then you're getting exactly. out right in and time. Do not yeah. ever break any uh, relationship to the point where if you have to work with them down the road, then it's going to be trouble. Do it maturely talk to them, meet with them. Don't just ghost them. And I think there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. I mean, they may be even happy on their end too, because they want to go in a different direction. Yeah. And it's also the kind of thing uh, you want to do it before it sours. Yeah. yeah. Like you don't want it to end yeah. in a fight or in like a fuck you. It's like, no, you want to do it. Like I just, it was something I felt. It was kind of a nagging feeling. I, I sat in it for like, <laughs> three months mm -hmm. I want to say because that's a scary thing to do yes, go out is. on your own I, I sat and I'm older I've been here for a long time I'm like you know what I mean I'm like I don't know what people if everyone just wants to sign 20 year olds like I have no fucking clue but I was also just like well I'm not gonna know if I'm in this spot right I'm not gonna know who's signing what because I'm signed so I'm like I don't well, know that's the thing what if there is somebody That's the thing. else in this business? You never know. I mean, we're off the path. We're not getting a grad degree here. We're not working in a corner office at IBM. So there's, it's always going to be scary. I think it should be scary. So if, if you're too yeah. comfortable at times, I think it's not a good thing. But you have to be willing to be uncomfortable. And the fact that you did what you did, I yeah. think it's great. You can have a fresh beginning. Oh, and thanks. I, things will work out. Yeah. I honestly, I'm not even scared. Good. And I thought I was going to be. And then I just went, like I said, I have not noticed. 
It was the holidays. It all got slow. Right. Everything. Like I was like, oh, it doesn't matter what happens, Alana. You are part of the flow of this industry and you're never going to change right. that. I'm not no. going to change the industry. I can make an impact with my content, but I'm not going to change it. Um, I can only change me and how much I um, fight against this and how much I flow with it. And I, I feel like I'm in a bit of a flow. Well, are right we talking now. reps for acting or writing? Both. Okay. So Full what reps. would the writing do? Yeah. They would get you opportunities to uh, pitch a packet to a late night show or a sitcom? No, because I said no Good. to late night. A yeah. lot what we talked about earlier where I was like, I know what this job is. I've seen friends work it. It's no. not for me. It's just not for me. I also don't want to write Trump <laughs> jokes. I don't care. Um, but bless him. We love him God on this bless. podcast. Did I not mention that? Uh, God bless. <laughs> like, absolutely not. But anyways, um, but it was more that, and they were fantastic. I really liked everybody. They gave great notes. So they would help set up meetings for me to like pitch shows. But the problem is by the time I was pitching the show and they got through with it it was not the show right. I wrote so I was pitching somebody else's yeah. show and that's what it felt like and I was like again if I've been hired for someone else's project I am that's working right. for your project but when it's mine I was like yeah. well I didn't what if this does get picked up now I'm writing five seasons of oh a show I God, don't so believe in common. what are we it's doing so here I mean so many writers I know want to get an agent to put out a book and then the book they pitch is something that the agent now doesn't want to represent so they change it to something else and then after a year of rewriting, they have something that even if they did sell, they don't want to work on it anymore. And you there have you to avoid that because it's no one knows better than you what you need to put out. And yeah. uh, that's why it comes yeah. down to just putting it out yourself. I mean, you control everything. It's not going to be on NBC at 8 o'clock on a Friday night, but it'll be out there. It'll be tangible. And uh, good things will come from it, really. I, I'm, I'm excited to see if you if you once you do this to listen to it and check it out because it's so personal when something is personal it means that much more especially when it comes to comedy and it's about your life you have yeah. to be in charge of it. you can't have a money maker an executive at nbc giving you notes on jokes these are this is your life your jokes your sensibility put it out the way exactly the way you want to do it yeah and it's like I mean, it's why everybody's obsessed with this podcast, because I do bring on comedians, writers, people in the industry, and we do have a real conversation in our voice, um, saying what we want to say. Um, and I think it's the exact same thing with my content I put out. I was like, it's my voice. My name's yep. attached to this. Um, it's not your voice. And if it's like, oh, but you have writers, and I'm going, yeah, I'm hiring everyone that can talk in my voice. That's right, exactly. <laughs> like my friends, I'm hiring my friends. Well, you reach a certain point in life and in your career. You're not 22 you're in it anymore. You're entitled to do whatever the hell you want, however you want to do it. So good for you. I love that. You got to put it out the way you want to do it. And it, you know, it all goes back to I grew up in DC. It was a very non-creative town. Northern Virginia, okay. Maryland. And the only person who was doing this uh, creativity the way I thought it should be done was Ian McKay of Fugazi and Minor Threat. He was a local guy putting out uh, records, uh, putting them out himself, which was unheard of in the early 90s. just didn't happen that way. Put them out for $5, $10, wow. $5 tickets to all ages shows, no drinking at these shows. And he owns all the rights, always did what he wanted to do. And because of that, he can now live like a millionaire because he put out exactly what he wanted to and influenced a generation so that to me is was really the lodestar uh pre-internet on how you, one should put out uh creativity and how one should guide yeah. their career so that to me um 
is really the way to do it. It's all about control and it's all about, uh, you know, just doing it for yourself and don't have to ask. You're not in high school. You don't have to um, respond to the homeroom teacher anymore. You don't need permission to leave the room to go take a leak. You can do it yourself now. You also don't have to believe that they know better. Well, that's better. just it. They don't know better. Why would like, they know better? They don't know better. Why would they? If they knew better, exactly. they would do it. Exactly. They, they would go right. do it. Yeah. yeah. Go, do it, go do it yourself. <laughs> go write your own book if you can do it so much better. Like everyone has advice. Oh, if you love writing so much. Right. If you have all these. <laughs> yeah, you love books so much. All these great ideas. Why don't you go write your own book? YA, your own YA novel. <laughs> Yet, can't re- can't wait to read it. Right, so it's it's up to you, and like it really is up to you. And you don't want to be seven years old looking back. God, I wish I had done this and wish I'd done that. Done that. I don't think you'll ever say I did this alone. I put it out. I liked it, but I wish I had gone to NBC uh, and had it. Uh, you know, if that's the type of comedy you're looking for, maybe you're getting into it for the wrong reasons. You're not getting into it for creativity, or you're getting into it for monetary reasons, which is never something you should get into. I'm convinced that if I keep doing it my way, it's literally the only way I'm going to get yeah. on NBC. Like that, I'm, I've, I'm convinced. I'm like, I, everything in my life and career has been backdoor. Weird. Everyone, like I, I tested for SNL and it was all the Chicago people and then me. And I was like, oh, this is a backdoor. Right. This is classic Atlanta right, where right. it's like, it's this thing. And then for some reason I'm there. Um, and I, I've always felt that way. And I'm like, I just have to keep telling myself and it, like what you're saying as well is like, I just have to do it because no one's going to find me otherwise. Like I have to put it out. They're not going to find me sitting here in my house. Not well, nothing is inevitable. I mean, like you look at the Beatles story that wasn't inevitable that they made it big. They made it big because they, they, they were yeah. laughed at it for audiences would laugh at them, but they kept on. Um, I'm researching, I'm interviewing Elton John for New Yorker and I'm researching his beginnings. Whoa. And that wasn't inevitable. He was putting out shit he wasn't happy with. And only when he started, you know, when he, when he hooked up with Bernie Top and said, we, we got to put out what we want and what we're happy with, not songs for other people and songs that we don't like. It was only then that they just exploded. And that really would go for anyone. You have to make this stuff happen and you have to stay true to your creative self. Otherwise, you're doomed to doing something you don't want to do. I mean, it's a bad place to be. Even if you're making a lot of money, it's a bad place to be. Yeah. I, Mike, I'm devastated to say this. We have reached the end of the podcast. I could talk to you for like 10 more hours. You are so inspiring you like this has really made well, my morning i i woke up in a nasty mood almost considered no. canceling because i was like yeah but here's why mike it's like it's like you said why um you didn't feel like you had worth in, until you um were an accomplished writer because then you have something mm-hmm. to say yep. like you know what i mean where you're like oh i don't have anything to say. i felt like that this morning where i was like and I was journaling and I was like, Alana, get out yes. of the negativity. You don't even know this guy. You don't want to be, <laughs> oh, this is what I'm like. And you have completely turned my day around. I really can't. I don't even know you. And you have turned my whole that is day so sweet. around. I mean, but that goes back to what we we're saying before. You have to have to open yourself up to, to experiences and people. And if, if you remain in your room like I did for three, four years, nothing will happen from it. You do have to get out there. Not everything's going to be great. You're not always going to be happy you did it. But only good things can happen if you open yourself up, not only as a person, but as a, as a creative comedy writer. And the fact that you didn't yeah. cancel and did this, I think, is, it says something about you as a creator. You could have very easily said, I'm not feeling well. Let's do it next week. And I would have said, fine. 
but yeah. um, it was so yeah. fun. And this is really, to me, more interesting than two comics or comedy writers cracking wise for an hour. I really don't give a shit about that. What I want to know is how they got into the business and what makes them and made them successful. Um, and it really yeah. it doesn't come down to telling that in a funny way. It's just an honest way. And I think you have to be honest about it. But I had super fun this past hour. I mean, I don't remember an interview like this. So this was very different and very fun and I think valuable. Well, here's the thing. I like hearing how someone got into it. I like hearing the successes or failures of somebody's career and what lessons they got out of that. And then I like hearing how they feel about it. And that's what makes my podcast that's different right. is I go, okay, but I want to know how did that make you feel? Because that's we talk about the process but we don't necessarily talk about the day-to-day -day in between I'm where you're you. like, oh, I can have this success and then I come home and I'm alone at night that crying. Is the most, that's <laughs> you know the most I mean? important part. And that is something they do not teach you in writing school. And I'll tell you why they don't teach that because a lot of the professors, the ones I had at Tulane anyway, were tenured and they, they're not out there hustling. It's the people who are out there hustling who know what it's like to have the lows that you want to talk to. How do yeah. you keep it going day in and day out, year after year? And this, to me, is really what beginning comedy writers should know. It's not going to be always fun. You're not going to be in a room cracking wise. It's not going to be the Simpsons writer's room or early SNL or your show of shows. It's going to be coming back after a really frustrating day and then getting up the next morning and say, how do I keep on the right path? How do I keep going forward? And that's what you seem to be doing with yeah. this, which I love. I think that's a great idea for a podcast. Mike. You started this podcast between a seven and an eight in terms of your self-esteem. I started at what? a four. I never would have known. You faked <laughs> I it. I came, I came in nasty. I came in nasty wow. to myself. If that's to myself. nasty. Very self-deprecating. Very self-deprecating previous to getting on the call with you. But in my head, I was like, you're going to blow this interview and you don't even, this guy's going to have a bad impression. And uh, I, I'm easily in good right like I, i'm feeling it. i feel like a million bucks you have again Fuck. totally turned my day around and you've made me feel like i'm not as far behind as i no, may have you're not in fact you're now ahead of where yeah. you were this morning and that in alone is a major accomplishment you're gonna get this shit done you're gonna put it out and it's gonna be amazing mike i love you <laughs> you are so right Do it, girl. This life is <laughs> short like, guys you got to see my face. I am glowing right now with joy. <laughs> this has been super fun. Uh, I really appreciate this. This has been so fun. Can you tell us um, either some books or where we can find some stuff just so that everybody knows where we can uh, Thank you. Find well, I have work. two books that were self-published that are being re-released next week through Simon & Schuster and Archway Editions. One is called Stinker Let's Loose, which I was telling you about. It's a novelization to a non-existent 1977 movie starring a chimp and a trucker, and John Hamm plays the trucker in the audio version. The other book is a fake memoir that I found of a really horrible 30-something in Maryland. So that one is called Randy. So I have those two books coming out, and then I also have a fake uh, college catalog, a parody of a college catalog that I put out originally through McSweeney's, digital only, but it's now out in print through Weekly Humorous, and that is called uh, Woodmont, and that's, that's the university. Welcome to Woodmont College, no refunds it's called. So that is available on Amazon and everywhere else. And of course, my um, podcast, I just started it up again. It's called Doing It With Mike Sachs, and that's available on... The Nar. I love the Nar. <laughs> you gotta start oh, doing I will. the Nar. It's me. so I'm much start more doing fun. I'm gonna start doing it right now with my wife, if you know what I mean. 
(laughs) (laughs) Okay, and on that note, thank you. (laughs) Believe in yourself. Believe in your body. Rock, rock, rock. It's a self-esteem problem.